Welcome to the Where Does It Come From podcast. We all have so much stuff in our lives and we're starting to realise that the making, using and disposal of our items can cause harm to those who made them, the planet and even ourselves. I'm Jo Salter, founder of Where Does It Come From, creating kind clothes and textiles with a tail. I'll be talking with some amazing people who've made it their life's work to make a difference, creating businesses, campaigning, writing books and much more to help us understand and make better choices. This time I'm talking with Rebecca Hansen, a lifelong environmentalist and electric vehicle expert. Rebecca has over 20 years experience of delivering mission critical projects for large companies and government organisations. She's the director of TriWire, an online tool designed to help people find and purchase the right electric vehicle for them. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Where Does It Come From podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss stuff and all the impacts of the things that we have in our life. So this time, our guest is Rebecca Hansen, who is passionate about the environment and electric vehicles. So we're going to have a conversation about electric vehicles. So the first thing, really, Rebecca, is thank you so much for joining us on the Where Does It Come From podcast. And would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you, Joe. It's great to be here, and thank you for having me on your podcast. So my name is Rebecca Hansen, as you stated. Uh, I'm one of the directors for Intersoft International, and we have a new platform called TriWire.com. And specifically what that is for is to sell nothing but electric vehicles. We are launching that platform here in the next couple of weeks. I'm oh, super, wow. super, super excited. Oh, that's really good timing, and I'm glad we've got you on now. I must admit, I did have a look around your, your website, so it's really interesting to see what you're planning to do, you know, where it's going to go and everything. So it's, it's trywire.com, isn't it, for anybody who's listening? That is correct. And I'll put it in the um, I'll put it in the bio thing as well, so people can click on directly. So, so what got you interested in electric vehicles? So a couple of items about myself. Uh, I've always been passionate about the environment. I'm uh, 52 years old, and 40-ish years ago, I actually built a rooftop solar-powered water heater uh, out of out of lithium aluminum cans, and so it's just something I've always been interested in. Uh, specifically with electric vehicles and the, the story of, of TriWire is we have a company in the U.S. and we write software for the electric utility industry. And one of our large customers in Texas, it's actually the largest utility in Texas, they service roughly 11 million uh, users. Wow. Uh, they had us write an application that uh, promoted electric vehicles. And it was saying, here's why electric vehicles are good. Here's the carbon emissions and all the stuff you can find in a plethora of websites. There's just a ton of information out there about electric vehicles. And their whole goal is they're, they're an electric utility. So they're very happy if people buy electric vehicles because they consume more of their product. So it's one of these unique situations where everybody's a win winner in this whole relationship that um, the electric company says, we're selling more of our product. And yet it doesn't seem disingenuous. It's like everybody says, oh, they're doing a great job trying to fight climate change and stuff, even though they're literally promoting just buying more of their stuff. And that is very unusual. Usually if an organization is advertising buying more of our stuff, people look at it as like, you're not really doing good for the world. But in this, this is one of those unique situations where they were. Uh, in the U.S., there's like 3,500 different electric utilities. 
So we said, you know what, we've put this, uh, this together for uh, a single very large electric utility. Uh, why don't we actually promote it to some of the other utilities? And several utilities were interested and they said, this is really good, uh, but you know what would be really helpful? If we really had something that didn't just extol the virtues of electric vehicle and tell people a lot of stuff that they probably already know. I mean, everybody knows an EV is better for the environment. Uh, everybody knows a lot of information about EVs, but a lot of what they were missing was there's nothing that really drives you to purchase an electric vehicle. And, and that's really, I think, where the, there's a problem in the marketplace is that you'll get people like myself, yourself, we're passionate about the environment. We'll go out and we will do the little extra effort uh, to go out and purchase an electric vehicle and maybe do a little more research and find out, you know what, some of the things that I've been concerned about over the years, that there's not enough charging infrastructure, they don't go far enough, they're too expensive. All of these things might have been true at a time, but in today's electric vehicle world, and we can get into more details later, uh, but a lot of those are just looking no longer true. And, and that's one of the things that we looked at when we were putting together this platform, talking to the electric utilities. It's like, there's nothing driving people to purchase these automobiles. So we said, we're, what we're going to do is change it up a little bit. Instead of just putting together an application that we would sell to electric utilities to say, here's a lot of information about electric vehicles, just then leading people to make their own decision. Instead, what we really do, one, focus on building a platform that says, you want to buy a new automobile, it should be an electric vehicle, and let us show you the electric vehicle that's right for you. And let us walk you through this process. Let us address any concerns you have so that you literally end up purchasing an electric vehicle and instead of just walking into a dealership and saying, an electric vehicle would be cool, have walk up to a salesperson, the guy agrees with you, an electric vehicle would be cool, but you know what? I'm a car salesperson. I don't care if you buy an electric vehicle. A petrol car really makes no difference to me. I want to find something that you're very comfortable with. And certainly in a relationship when you're walking in and purchasing an automobile and you're dealing with a car salesperson who's doing their best to actually make you feel comfortable, people are not comfortable with change versus a petrol power card, which you're super comfortable with. I mean, we've had them for 100 years. It's like, it's very easy to, eh, I know it might be better for the environment. You know what? I'll wait by one three years from now after mm. I come off this lease for this one. And that's terrible yeah. because that, that vehicle you purchased on that three-year lease, it doesn't go away when you actually take it back to Arnold Park. Mm. Instead, what happens is they sell it to somebody else, possibly making the same decision. You know, eh, you know what? I might have considered an electric, but you know, this and this nice petrol car has got a couple of thousand miles on it. I'm going to buy this one. That, that vehicle is going to stay in circulation for 10 to 20 years. And so we really need to act now. And that's really what WIRE was about is really help people make the decision to buy electric. And there's really just not a lot of things that uh, uh, do that. The only place you can walk into where a dealership is really going to really focus on electric vehicles is Tesla. Mm. And let's be honest, if you walk into a Tesla dealer, you've already made the decision. Yeah. It's like nobody walks into a Tesla dealer. Eh, I don't really believe in this whole electric car thing, but I figured I'd stop by. <laughs> yeah, and, and money as well with Tesla. I think one, one thing you, you've alluded to there, which I completely agree with, it's the whole behavior change and trying to encourage people to get out of their previous habits, which is obviously a really difficult one. I mean, one thing I think is that people think of EVs as being a very modern 
new thing but obviously i was doing a bit of research before talking to you and they've been going back like hundreds of years and if you in our lives we're just so used to things like electric milk floats we're used to electric trains we're used to electric trams and all that kind of thing and then people just think electric vehicles this is a really new modern thing because of the environment but obviously it's it's not at all so it's about changing that perception isn't it and making people understand that yeah these things have been around for a long time it's kind of proven it's about changing that to be a much more everyday item as opposed like we use it with our cars um, than something that's a bit freaky and modern isn't it I definitely make a joke to a lot of the presentations I do with people that one of the, one of the common concerns people have about an electric vehicle is that uh, there's not enough charging infrastructure mm. And, and, and that's really just not true, that if you actually look at the stats in the UK, there's uh, over 16,000 places where you can get an electric vehicle charged. Mm-hmm. There's only 9,000 places where you can fill up with petrol. That's so there's almost twice as many places where you can charge your car. Yeah. And it's like no, nobody is concerned about finding petrol for their automobile. Everybody knows you can find petrol everywhere. It's on every street corner. Yeah. But it's like there's more electric vehicle charging spots. And you can charge your electric vehicle at home. Nobody fills up with petrol at their house. It's like, you have to go to a petrol station. And it's just, it goes back to what you just said, is you need to change behavior. You need to change how you think of things. And literally people are still thinking, I've got a car, I need to fill it up. And you don't need to go up to the power station to fill up your car with power. You can plug it in at the house. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it is. It's about... um just learning new ways of doing things and I suppose also as always seems to happen when people are afraid of change they'll come up with excuses and they'll they'll think of all the barriers that they could have you know to why they shouldn't do something so it brings me on to my next question is really why are we all not switching to electric vehicles what are the barriers and some of them will be perceived and some of them will be real so what do you think the barriers are in in people's minds or in reality so, so, so we've done research, there's been a lot of research done, and, and if you really look at it, the most common reasons people do not go with an electric vehicle is, is the first, people are concerned about costs, is that their perception is electric vehicles are more expensive than a petrol car. And a lot of times they will compare, look, look how much a Tesla costs. Everybody thinks of the EV and Tesla synonymously. And it's because Elon Musk has done such a fantastic job of selling electric vehicles. The thing is that Teslas are a luxury automobile. It's like, it's not fair for somebody to compare a Tesla to a Skoda. That's just not apples and oranges. Unfortunately, plenty of people almost make that crazy comparison. It's really, if you compare a Tesla with an Audi, a Mercedes, the cost isn't that much different. Uh, If you look at brands that actually have both an electric vehicle and a petrol equivalent. The EVs are a little more expensive, but they're not a great deal more expensive. And then you really got to start looking at some situations because in in the UK, uh, HMRC has several programs that actually make an electric vehicle less expensive than its petrol equivalent. So if you're a business owner, for business owners, they get to depreciate the cost of EV in year one, just straight away. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you're, you're paying 20% uh, tax on your income as a business owner. They let you write off the whole thing in year one. They're pay- HMRC is paying 20% of the cost of the vehicle. Right there, it's going to be probably a little less expensive than the petrol equivalent. 
Mm-hmm. And there's even more generous benefits for from HMRC if you take advantage of an optional remuneration scheme. And that's a whole lot of big, crazy words. So, of course, Wire actually changed the name. We call it our Salary Boost Program. Uh, but it is. It's actually from HMRC. It lets you pay for uh, electric vehicles with pre-tax dollars. It's a scheme that's exactly like the cycle to work scheme or pensions, that it only applies to electric vehicles. And so now if you're in a 40% or 41 or 45% tax bracket, now you've got HMRC paying almost half the price of your car. Mm. I mean, petrol cars can't compete. It's like you're now making a silly financial decision to buy a petrol car mm. with the government incentives. And, and that's just a lot of people just aren't aware once again. No, no, I wasn't aware of that. The information's not out there. No, yeah. and is that, would that just be for company cars or would that happen if you just were buying your own car and you wanted to do some kind of payback scheme? It, it has to be done through your company. Mm. So it's kind of all based on the whole company car concept. Yeah, yeah. But, but then, the difference is it doesn't actually have to be a company car. Yeah. That as long as it's done through your company, then it applies. That's a great incentive, really. That's an absolutely it great. It really incentive. is. It was uh, yeah. when 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 we first started looking at it, uh, we looked at it and said, you, you know what? If you have a company car, this would apply. And you know what? It's easy enough to actually put together a program with it. But HMRC was a step ahead of us and said, you don't you don't have to try to scam or come up with some way to do this. We let people do that. We're, yeah. It's all up and up. So. I wonder why um, more companies are not doing that then, taking make, making their whole company car fleet out of electric vehicles I, again i really think it's an issue that people just aren't informed yeah and, and a lot of times it goes back to just like the conversation i was having earlier when you walk into a current car dealership that there's no incentive for them to sell an electric vehicle that no. when it comes down to it it's very easy for me to sell a petrol car because we've been doing it for a long long time yeah and it becomes much more difficult for me to sell an ev and of course, if we now start tacking on to that, is this arrangement that has to be made through a company to buy the car. Their fleet managers, uh, a car dealer would know about this type of thing, but you hardly ever deal with fleet managers because you're buying one car. Yeah. So the individual salesperson isn't aware and, quite frankly, isn't highly incentivized to really try to move you in that direction. No. It's, I've got five petrol cars. Yeah, we have an EV as well, but it's like, you know what, I'm going to push this petrol car. Yeah. You're comfortable with it. Everybody's comfortable with it. But it's also, it's the whole business model thing. I don't want to get caught up too much in business models because I can go on for hours about that. But the fact that all the business models that we work with are not fitting now to the world that we live in. And it's the same with my industry of textiles. Um, It's exactly the same. So you've got the fast fashion brand, the the business models that we're in, sort of encourage and and us to keep continuing with that whole let's buy lots of cheap stuff and try and flog it rather than let's try and do this properly and ethically and and change the way that we work and it's exactly the same isn't it so if the salesperson is incentivized by a bonus based on how easy that they want to spend as little time as possible selling that car and they know they'll make an easier sale to somebody who's really just upgrading a current model or getting something that they're comfortable with but actually encouraging them to change to a different kind of vehicle or whatever that if they were incentivized to do that then that would work the, the whole business model would work much more effectively but um so anyway, tell me about some more barriers there's there's obviously the initial cost what other barriers do we have so 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 the next barrier you tend to run into and, and again it's one that can certainly be uh all, all but disproved is that people are very concerned about range about how far a car is going to go mm-hmm. 
And again, if you go back five years, electric vehicle range was a serious challenge. The, the EVs were out there, again, with the exception of Tesla, just didn't go very far. And you go back five, five to 10 years, even Tesla didn't go very far. And a couple of items about range is, is one, if you really look at it, there are people very seldom drive more than about 20, 30 miles on a given trip. Sure, every once in a while, you're going to drive all the way down to Cornwall or something. You might actually need to go 300 miles in one direction, but that is incredibly rare. But all of a sudden, when people start saying, oh, I'm going to get a car, it's the only thing they consider about how far they drive is that once a year trip down to grandmother's house. Mm. And it's like, you know, you don't make that every day. Do you know how often you often drive more than 20 miles? It's rare. And then people started looking, it's like, but I want to be able to go a long distance. With an EV, of course, I think distance can be a concern. But just again, back to how they're fueled, people think that, I fill up with a tank of gas, I'm going 300 miles. And in EV, you don't have to just fuel once and go 300 miles. EVs, you could fuel frequently. You're going to fuel them every single night at your house. Mm. So all of a sudden now, you know what? I'm not so concerned if it has a 300-mile range. My commute's 15 miles one way in the morning. That's 30 miles round trip. I have to make a run to pick up the kids. That tax on an extra five miles. You know what? If I had 35 miles range, I'm probably good because I can plug it in every single night. Yeah. And, and it's just, again, it's about changing behavior, changing perceptions. What do you expect from the world that you have to just deal with the, a new reality that EVs might not go as far in one go, but you just don't need to worry about it all that much because the whole process of using them is going to be different. So how far, then, would, how, how far would you say the range is now compared with how it was a few years ago? And, and how is that going to change going forward? And that was going to be my next point Sorry. was that, that, no, you're good. Thank you. Uh, the, not only do you use them differently, so range is not as big a concern, but the fact is a lot of EVs now go 200 miles on a single charge. And it is definitely just moving in a direction where it's getting larger and larger. The, firstly, all the Teslas go 300 to 400 miles, and there's plenty of other cars that are not far behind. And they're not just super expensive cars. You can get the Hyundai Kona, the Hyundai Onix. They both have an almost 200-mile range. And those are both sub-25,000-pound cars. Mm. So, so there's definitely a lot of options out there. And, again, a petrol car is going to have a distance advantage, possibly forever. Because one of the huge advantages petrol has, and one of the reasons we are so addicted to petrol, is it's incredibly energy-dense that it has a lot of energy, a lot of bang for that small volume of stuff. And that, that is difficult to overcome, but it's certainly not impossible. And I think when you really look at how you use an automobile and what you're doing with it, that that really will become completely unimportant. I really think by the time 2050 rolls around and people are all driving electric vehicles and you, and you look at that and the people are going to say, I can't believe my grandparents were worried if something didn't go 400 miles or something. That is so insane. It's like you just plug this in and it goes and you plug in a couple other times. Why were they concerned? Mm. All those silly people. <laughs> well, it's, it's that whole change. When you look back, you wonder what took it so long. It's always the way, isn't it? And yeah. Absolutely. So you were talking about earlier on about um, the fact that we have, was it double the number of um, EV charging places to, to um petrol I mean that's a really quite mind-boggling thought because I think psychologically we always think 
it's a bit stressful. You have to get to where do I have to get to to chart, do my next charge and, and all of that kind of thing. I mean, is it really as simple as that? You could probably plot an easy route across down to Cornwall and back. No problem with lots of charging stops. You definitely can. And there, def- there definitely are some challenges that one of the challenges that we do face with EVs. It's a little less in, in Europe and the UK than if you're in the US, but is that EVs can have different plug types. And so you can obviously pull up to a charger and you don't have the right plug for it. That's generally not that big a deal now because almost everybody has about the same plug type. So, um, but if you're driving Nissan, for example, the Nissan Leaf does not have the same plug type as a lot of other things. Uh, But you can do exactly as you said, that if you want to actually make a longer distance drive, that you can easily go out to, there's several websites, ZapMap is one of them. You go out there and it literally plans your route and shows you where there's going to be chargers along the way. Mm. And certainly uh, when you're dealing with making a long distance trip in, in your EV, you're going to have to do that different than you would a petrol car. That you will most likely have to refuel or add power more frequently than you would a petrol car. A petrol cars easily can go 300 miles. The, all, all the fuel tanks are sized to go about 300 to 400 miles on a single fill up. And obviously, it's going to take five minutes to fill that with petrol again. Mm. Uh, where, whereas an EV, when you look at charging an EV, they, they charge definitely slower than filling up with petrol. And what a lot of people don't understand about EV charging is when you charge them, they don't charge the same amount for every minute based on how full the tank is or how full the battery is. That we probably don't notice that from our cell phones because cell phones are tiny, but cell phones charge in the exact same way. The EVs, cell phones, any lithium-ion battery will charge about the same rate between 20 and 80% full, but then they get really slow when they go past 80. And that's going to be the same thing with an EV. Mm-hmm. The, you know what? Filling it all the way up to get that last 20% takes almost as long as the whole rest of the 80% before it. And that's one of the things you just have to get used to so that, so that I'm not going to fill it all the way up. So I'm on my drive to Cornwall. I'm going to pull over an additional time so that I can get up 80, drive until it's down to about 20 and then fill it up again, mm. or at least fill it up to 80%. Yeah, but it's so, just, so, so, so it's really about behavior. It's like yeah. You have to change everything we're doing. It's strategy. I mean, I remember when I was a teenager, my stepdad had a Jaguar um, and it would only take 14 um, the, the, the tank was damaged it would hardly take any petrol I think it was 14 gallons I don't know what exactly but basically we were having to stop all the way along any journey and um, constantly topping up with petrol and we just kind of got used to the fact now that we can uh, that we get so many miles to the gallon and everything it didn't used to be like that it's not that long since you couldn't make a whole trip without a, some kind of petrol stop along the way you know it's just again it's just we've got used to it and now we think that's normal it's quite an interesting one and equally with mobile phones do you remember oh you should always wait till your mobile phone's nearly empty with battery before you top it up because you'll damage the battery and there's all these different different things that people were saying which you don't don't hear that anymore so you just you just top it up when you want to so oh yeah you couldn't leave them plugged in and all sorts of things there's all sorts of different things and it's not that long really um since those kind of things were said but going back to the different um plugs i'm interested in this because again it's it's like do you remember with the the videos you had beta max and vhs and all these different types of video cassette um do you think it'll be the same do you think at some point they'll all bang their heads together and say look we should just have one type of plug and one type of charger and then everyone can go to every single one 
I, I, I do think you'll see standardization. Uh, you really kind of have already. The, uh, pretty much everybody, with, with the exception of Nissan, at least in the vehicles that are available in the UK, uh, have switched to the same plug. They're, they're all uh, CCS plugs. And, and, and Nissan is planning on switching as well. Good. So, so I really think that, that that'll be standardized. Um, you'll, I think you'll see just the, I think you'll see probably some standardization in charger networks. Uh, that's, a, that's another challenge is that there's several different charger networks. And just like there's several different organizations that sell petroleum, but you know what, you don't have to belong to uh, the yeah. BP club to get into a BP station versus a Shell station versus an ASTA station. Uh, and I think you'll probably see something similar with EV networks, uh, whether it's actually driven by the market or driven by government regulation. Mm-hmm. I think eventually you'll see that everybody says, you know what, if you have an EV, you can go charge anywhere. If somebody wants to charge a wee bit extra for filling up a, their, their charging network, that would probably be allowed. Mm. But I, I really think that would probably all just go away. Yeah, and I mean, that's a bit as, like as cars oil. themselves become more ubiquitous. That yeah. Why am I going to try to charge you for coming to my network versus someone else's? Oh, you try and sell them other stuff when they're there, wouldn't you? I mean, you basically, you'd be, you'd give them, you let them have the electricity at a low price, but then you'd maybe try and sell them a cup of coffee or something else, a magazine or something while they're there. So. Well, and I think that'd be a brilliant opportunity for somebody because as opposed to petrol, what you're filling up for five, in five minutes, it's realistically, I mean, a great place for a charging station would, would be a Nero, would be a Costa, because it's like it's going to take you 15, 20 minutes. It's like you might as well grab a coffee. Exactly, exactly. Or have lunch or, or fit, fit it in around that. Again, it's that whole behavior change thing. And, and how many people, if they're getting um, petrol at the moment, will be going into the shop to get other stuff as well while they're there, you know, while they're paying for their petrol, you have to go. Used it. They abandoned the idea of you paying at the pump, didn't they? I, I reckon because people wanted, they wanted people to go into the shop and buy stuff. And it's just, it's just how do you herd people into a particular behavior? to try and try and change their behavior but also sell them as much as you can unfortunately but yeah so it'll be interesting to see what happens i'm hoping there won't be like an apple different headphone socket thing <laughs> <laughs> an apple charging station I, I i do i do think that will probably be avoided I, I think right now because a lot of the technologies are new and and people were still exploring options that you do see different plugs out there you see different charger networks out there but i do think a lot of that will go away Mm. so what um have you got any other barriers or any other things people have said to you about why they don't want to get an ev well well cer- certainly another one that comes up is is battery life that a lot of people realize that the battery is a very expensive part of an electric vehicle and in fact if you try to replace a tesla battery it costs about ten thousand pounds wow. to replace a tesla battery they are super super pricey uh, we don't see that like in cell phones because you don't really replace your batteries in cell phones any longer. You just end up throwing the whole phone in the mm. rubbish bin. Another story. Uh, so, uh, but if you really look at that, that as well is again, most EV manufacturers have uh, 80 to 100,000 mile warranties, eight to 10 years on their batteries. Uh, lithium ion batteries are going to last quite some time. They definitely degrade in performance that they will drop over that eight to 10 year period down to the capacity goes down from 100% when it's originally bought down to 70 or 80. Uh, but that's the case with a lot of automobiles, that they also become less performant uh, over time. And that's just another issue you have to deal with. And it's very easy to make, 
oh my God, a 10,000 pound battery. I don't, I don't want to pay 10,000 pounds for, for a battery. Like, you're not going to, you're not going to replace the battery. This, this isn't like your blood acid battery that you might end up having replaced every three years. It is likely you never replace this battery while you own the car. Mm-hmm. The most likely reason you replace it is the car is in a fairly serious accident and the battery itself is damaged. Mm-hmm. And it does have to be a fairly significant uh, accident to damage uh, one of the battery packs in an automobile. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because I think people do think, you know, how how long is this battery going to last? And, and also the more environmental things around batteries, about if I have to replace the battery, what happens to the old battery? How does that do for the environment and all of those kind of things as well? So it's interesting to hear that we probably never have to replace it, which is, a, is definitely good news. Although battery technology is improving all the time, isn't it? So I guess people might want to replace it just to get a better battery that holds charge longer or whatever. Definitely batteries are improving. Uh, every year, batteries improve significantly. Uh, you will, you'll never know when there's going to be a new technology as soon as we erupt on the market because I mean, lithium-ion batteries didn't really exist 20 years ago. And now they're literally, they drive the modern economy. And that particular technology is improving. Uh, there's now just billions upon billions of pounds of research done on batteries. That batteries didn't see any love for, for 60 years no. that, I mean, literally for 60 years, nobody cared about improving batteries. Uh, you had Energizer, you had Duracell, you had just your batteries. They were the same for yeah. quite frankly, our essentially their entire lives. Uh, cars had lead acid batteries. The only thing that changed was their size might've changed a little bit, a few things about them, but overall battery technology just was stale for a long, long time. Yeah. Universities didn't research. It wasn't interesting. It wasn't cool. Uh, and that's changed in, in past 10 years. Battery technology is super cool. Everybody's researching it. Governments are focusing on it. There's there's tons of effort being expended on it. And when people put their minds to it, the, the advances happen. So, yeah, exactly, so right, exactly right. It is, and it's because you have to have the applications, don't you? You have to need the batteries. So, like, well, if we just had our little calculators or whatever that didn't need anything more than a couple of little batteries. But as soon as you've got something that needs it, and then when you've got the bigger thing driving it, like the um, climate emergency, saying, "Okay, we need to be using a lot more, um, you know, solar power and electricity that we're generating to run things, a clean fuel," then suddenly battery power becomes of interest you know so talking about batteries and the lithium and everything I know a lot of people my passion is transparency and ethics in supply chains a lot of people ask me about batteries and how how green are they and how transparent is the whole supply chain of creating batteries from minerals so so certainly uh, there's a lot of metals that go into battery manufacture uh, a lot of those metals come from uh, specific parts of the world. Uh, lithium itself is found in high concentrations in just a few places around the world. Uh, so there's a lot found in South America. There's certainly some some in the U.S. There's certainly a lot in China. Uh, the current battery technology also relies on a large amount of cobalt. Uh, again, cobalt is not something that's common around large parts of the world. And specifically, cobalt is known for some fairly questionable mining practices around the world. Uh, I do think you're going to see improvements in, uh, one, just the types of metals that are required in in batteries. Uh, You'll see improvements in transparency. And and I don't think that really has anything necessarily to do, per se, with just electric vehicles and and electric uh, batteries. That it's just, I think as a world, we're becoming more cognizant that we need to know where stuff comes from. Yeah. And, and we need to be concerned where stuff comes from. That 
when we make a purchase as a consumer, I think all of us are becoming more aware that it didn't just show up at the shop. That there's a lot of stuff that went into that. And I think a lot of people are becoming more cognizant of the complexity of supply chains. I think one of the things COVID has shown people is the fragility of supply chains. That it was very simple that um, there was a run on toilet tissue. It's like, well, I could always go down to Tesco. There was always toilet tissue. What do you mean it's all gone? And I was like, it doesn't take long, much for supply chains to be damaged. And I, and I think as a lot of people are just aware now of they're complex. And I think that then leads them to realize, oh, there's this stuff that comes from all over the planet. And you know what? There's a lot of people that are just maybe not the best operators. And you'll see pressure from consumers. I mean, I've seen that in my lifetime. That there's been a lot of pressure for, for companies to step up. And you can't just say, oh, we're not the actual manufacturer. We outsourced all that. It's like, we got the cobalt from somebody. We, we don't realize how bad the conditions were for the people that worked at that cobalt mine. You, you can't do that anymore as a, as a large organization. And, and I think that's going to continue with everything that we do. Yeah, I, mean, I, I really hope you're right. I mean, I get cynical sometimes when, you know, in the fashion world, there's a huge number of people who are still very much, what can I put about it, not con- so concerned about how things are made so long as it ends up being the price they want and available when they want it. But maybe fashion is slightly more behind on that one but there's certainly a big push towards transparency um, in in the fashion industry and and more people trying to share the stories of what actually happens to some of the people and some of the environmental impacts involved I guess with vehicles because it's a bigger purchase and maybe people maybe people are a bit more thinking about what the impacts are of what of their vehicle and the technologies and everything that's gone into it and how it, that's impacting not only the planet but also the people mining it and living near it and all of that kind of thing so yeah i hope i really hope you're right that that is the case definitely and one of the things with electric vehicles that i don't think a lot of people realize is how simple they are compared to a petrol car okay. petrol cars have thousands of moving parts in them there's a huge manufacturing process there's a very very large number of different suppliers it's a very complex supply chain and electric vehicles have virtually no moving parts in them they are very 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 incredibly simplistic their supply chains are much 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 simpler and so as you as you simplify a supply chain then it becomes much easier to be transparent there's just fewer people participating in it yeah. And, and guess, I guess that it's also got a maintenance uh, overhead as well, hasn't it? If it's got no moving parts or very few moving parts, actually keeping the thing going is going to be easier. And that's bound to appeal to people if they realize that. That is absolutely an advantage that electric vehicles have. The, they certainly are much less to operate. And it's not just the fact that electricity costs a lot less than petrol. You're right. There is virtually zero maintenance on an electric vehicle. But your maintenance is going to replace the tires. That is literally yeah. the moving part in an electric vehicle. You're not going to go for an oil change. They literally don't have any. They, yeah. they don't need, need need oil. That's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. But going back to the supply chain thing, though, that, that I also find that fascinating, um, the whole the, the simplicity of it. And I think what will be interesting and probably is already happening is whether you're going to get certain companies that are immediately going to step to the forefront and be able to say, we can totally trace where our lithium and our cobalt and everything comes from. We know the mines, we either own or co-own the mines. We have a vested interest in those stakeholders. Here's the whole story of every part of your electric vehicle from 
the ground to your garage ground to garage there you go something like <laughs> that a new, a new tagline because I think a lot of people are going to as you say going to be looking into that and wanting to know the stories behind what, what the impact has been which will help them make that decision I, I definitely think that's going to become much more important to people when they when they make decisions about what to purchase and, and that's another thing about electric vehicles regarding like the supply chain and transparency is when I say they're easy to produce, uh, Dyson exited the electric vehicle business because they said, you know what? It is trivial to make an electric vehicle. You know what? If, if you're building a petrol car, you need to come up with a few billion pounds to start making new uh, petrol powered cars. You have to come up with virtually no money to start making new electric vehicles. And that's why Dyson left. It's like, we have this really great electric vehicle. We put a lot of money putting it together. It's really, really awesome. Uh, you know what? Anybody can replicate this. There's essentially no barrier to entry. So I think you'll see lots of companies will be able to make electric vehicles. And you're going to have to compete on something uh, besides the fact that there's very few petrol-powered cars. You can't just start up a petrol-powered car company because they're enormous expense. Their supply chains are ridiculously complex. But if you literally can just get a few people together to put, start making an electric vehicle, it becomes easy for you to say, look, we do everything ourselves. That we don't actually take all these parts from someplace you've never heard of and suppliers that you don't even understand how they actually get their stuff. It is very easy for us to put that together. And I think you could see people competing on that. Mm. Yeah, no, whereas, if, whereas if you're a Ford, that ain't going to happen. It, so we're going to start another Ford and say, look, I, we have a much more simple supply chain because you can't have a simple supply chain with petrol cars. So what's going to happen then is we're going to end up with, as we've had in so many in banking and all sorts of other industries, with this, the small players breaking into the market or have already broken into the market, obviously. And then those big players have got to decide whether they want to do, move into the new market or challenge it by trying to compete with it with old technology. So it'll be quite interesting. There's obviously opportunities for disruption with electric vehicles that because it does not require a monumental amount of capital to get started with EVs. Um, In fact, there's there's some EV manufacturers that have realized that and they literally sell just the base part. They call it a platform Mm -hmm. and you can literally just build your car on top of it. And it's, it's, it's just crazy. Yeah, no, but it's, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So you're going to have so many different people in that market. And it, presume, we, we do need legislation or whatever to keep it into a, a workable solution. But it actually would mean an explosion, which is what we need to see, uh, in terms of more the numbers of people picking this up and going with it, which is obviously what, what um, TriWire is all about, trying to get people to take advantage of this. And that is what TriWire was born to do, was actually focus on selling just electric vehicles so that when you walk into a TriWire showroom, then we're walking you through the process and saying, there is an electric vehicle for you, that virtually anybody that comes to our website can be taken through a process and find an electric vehicle that would meet not only their needs, but their desires. Uh, it's, it's an axiom in car sales that you, don't, you really don't sell anybody a car based on their need, because if you sold just on need, Everybody would have a car that gets them just from A to B. People buy automobiles based on their desires and their wants. I mean, nobody's going to pay up 100,000 pounds because they need a 100,000 pound car. They spend a lot of money on that car because that's a status symbol at that point. Yeah. And, and to some extent, virtually every automobile is sold to that. But it's a status symbol to have an automobile. Mm. Yeah, well, we're very fortunate that, you know, that, that is something that we've been able to do, isn't it? I mean, there's a way that the world or most many parts of the world have moved on that most families can afford to have at least one vehicle. Absolutely. 
there's other parts of the world that obviously don't have that so if i was going along to try wire to try to have a look and see what kinds of how would you make things evs more accessible how would you persuade me that i wanted to have an ev for my car so so what what try wire does is we actually ask you information of trying to replicate the process you would have with a good car salesperson when you walk into a, a showroom and so we're going to ask you for example uh, what car do you currently own? And, and the reason it asks you that question is the vast majority of car buyers uh, buy the same brand of car. Mm-hmm. That if they if they have a Volkswagen, they buy another Volkswagen. So so that's one of the criteria of our uh, artificial intelligence is, is what what kind of car do you currently own? Mm-hmm. Uh, don't have to be all that bright to actually figure that. So it wasn't very artificial intelligence, but that's just one of the things we ask. Yeah. And and then the next thing it's going to ask you is kind of trying to essentially address people's primary concerns around buying an electric vehicle. So, so it's going to ask you, okay, so you, we know you drive, currently drive an Audi. It obviously asks you which Audi you currently drive. It asks you how old that happens to be. It's then going to ask you, how far do you drive each year? And do you frequently make long-distance journeys? And again, addressing the, the range concern of a vehicle. It asks, how do you currently pay for the, for the car? Did you, did you pay cash for it? Uh, do you lease it? Uh, did you take out a loan to purchase it? It's then going to ask you, for example, where do you live? And the reason it asks you where you live is primarily around installing chargers for you. And so it'll ask you a question. Do you own a house? Do you have a driveway? And that's why it's asking that is so that so you don't want driving home that you can charge immediately at your house. And then long last, what it does, it comes up with a recommendation of which particular electric vehicle you should buy. But then it allows you to actually navigate along different criteria and say, well, maybe I want to go a little faster. I want it to charge a little faster, a little less expensive. Maybe I'll pay a little more to get a few more features. And then once you've actually selected an automobile that says, okay, that looks good, as you're going through this journey, it keeps telling you about uh, the details about the automobile. So that you can then make a decision. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to try to test drive that. And once once you've selected a vehicle, then the platform will actually allow you to arrange a test drive. You could actually arrange to make the purchase of the automobile. Once you've selected the car, you can at that time select to get a charger installed. Uh, and as an organization, we handle all of the back end about get the vehicle. We'll arrange for the charger to come by, the charger installers to come by your flat, your house, whatever, and get everything installed. Mm-hmm. And that's actually another challenge that you have with uh, current car dealerships is the after-purchase support for an EV. In fact, I've had this issue with a Tesla, is that you walk into a Tesla dealer, you walk into a Volkswagen dealer, and you buy an EV, and they say, okay, thank you for the car purchase, and they essentially send you on your way. And you're not done yet. I mean, one of the big reasons you buy an EV is you can charge it at your house. And so you need to get a charger installed. And car dealerships literally just aren't geared to do that. They need to change their behavior as well. Is that you don't just forget about the customer when they walk out the door. When you sell a petrol car, you do. Because you don't need to worry about them until they come in for the first maintenance appointment. With an EV, they ain't ever coming in for a maintenance appointment because they don't need any. You're not going to see them again. For three to four years when they actually want another car but you need to actually take care of them in about the next month because once that car is delivered they need someplace to charge it at their house and it's one of the big advantages of one 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And and what about, I mean, what if somebody doesn't have a driveway or doesn't have, they live in a flat or something, how, how what kind of solutions are there for different ways of charging the car? So, so if we, we look at people in flats or uh, primarily terraced housing, uh, when it comes to flats that where there are people in flats that do also do own automobiles, that's a small percentage of people, but there's a huge percentage of people that live in terraced housing. And there's a lot of times they do not have driveways. And there's a couple of options you have there. Uh, option number one is a lot of cities, Glasgow is certainly one of them, uh, Edinburgh is one of them. And they will actually work with a community to install a public charging place if there is not one that's readily accessible. And Wire helps you with that, that we will help you work with your local council to get a charger installed. But the other thing Wire will help you work with is your employer is that, you know what, you're using your car to drive into the office, and you know what would be really beneficial? There's a charger sitting in your car park where you can plug your car in there. And so there's a lot of opportunity for people that are in terraced housings, potentially flats, where they're commuting into work to be able to charge at the office. Instead of if I actually have a driveway, I have somewhere where I can install a charger at home, then I can certainly charge at home. Now, we'd certainly prefer as far as much as possible to charge at home. And one of the reasons that is beneficial is when you're charging at home, you're charging in the middle of the night. And the reason that is beneficial to society is at night, there's not a lot of load on the electric grid, whereas there's more load on the electric grid when all the offices and everything are open Mm -hmm. uh, during the day. And so if we are all charging in the office, that is slightly problematic. And I guess as well, if you're charging at home, then you're using whatever electric supplier you have, which for a lot of people these days will be the good energies and the green companies who are getting it from solar power and regenerated, um, you know, like wind farms and that kind of thing, because that means that the electricity that's going into the car is clean as well. So it's it's linking. And definitely the UK is doing a fantastic job of converting over to clean electricity. And there's a huge amount of wind power. There, there's still we have a lot of nuclear power in the UK and all that's obviously without any carbon emissions whatsoever. So, I mean, obviously that, that's the, the, the best solution, isn't it? So you're going to be having your solar panels on your roof, collecting your electricity and then you park the car with it. You know, it's just it's just a lovely, lovely way to be moving forward with the planet. But um, I, I know as well, because we spoke about this before, that you're not just a, a woman who knows everything there is to about electrical vehicles, but also a passionate environmentalist. So obviously we had um, the IPCC report out in the last few days, which has, from my point of view anyway, firmly said there's no more arguing about this. We're definitely in a climate emergency. What can we do about this? So as well as electric vehicles, what other things do you think we need to be doing right now to try and move ourselves forward? Well, I think one of the biggest things people need to focus on is, is truly take the heart that it's an emergency. It is a crisis. We, we need to do big things. That uh, There's some things I've been frustrated with over the years that people do a few small things and then call it good. Uh, you, you know why? Like, so, so I go and buy my plastic water bottle, but I recycle the plastic bottle. You know, that ain't going to get stuff done. You know what? You, you can't buy the bottle of water. You just can't do that. You, you need to fill up your canteen, take that with you, and keep filling it up for the next five years and not say, you know what, I'm doing little things, focusing on eliminating plastic straws. You know, plastic straws really are not destroying the environment. There's a lot of things that we need to focus on before that. And I think way too many times people get a quick win, something that's easy, and then call it a day. And we literally just can't keep doing that. 
we've got to realize there's going to be sacrifice involved, that it is not going to be magical. And, and I'm very concerned that people don't really realize the seriousness of where, where we said that it's, 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 not, it's not just about carbon emissions. There's a lot of serious environmental challenges facing the, facing the world. And you can look at a large part of the world. They're running out of fresh water. There's plenty of places that don't have enough fresh water today. Uh, we take it for granted being in Scotland because there's always fresh water. It's always falling out of the sky. I mean, every day there's some more fresh water falling out of the sky. But that, that isn't true everywhere. Um, you can see in the American Northwest that they've had this crazy drought. And then, then that drought led to incredibly hot temperatures that they're just not used to. And it was all, it's all linked together. Yeah. And we've really got to focus on, on big changes in society. Yeah. Uh, we've got to realize that we're, we're in the rich part of the world. And there's a large part of the world that isn't rich. And it, for them to catch up to even close to our living standards, the world literally can't support it. And so... I, there, there's got to be solutions where uh, our, our lifestyles probably get a little worse. That I, I think there's too many people that they, as science will magically make things better. Uh, I, I was very frustrated with, with Jim Carrey making statements that uh, science would figure a way out of this. You know what, science can do a lot, but it's not magic. And the biggest thing we can do as individuals is maybe sacrifice a little bit. Yeah. I, I, to your point, uh, I mean, you know, I, I don't mind going and buying something in a fast fashion place and that it's 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 only five quid. That, that's very easy. And make a joke. Hey, it's essentially disposable. That's a problem that we, we can't be doing that. That, you know, we need to pay a little extra and wear, wear a pair of jeans for five years. I, I, I don't need any fashion every three months. And it's just, about, again, back to what you said, changing behavior. It is. And there's so many things that we've got to focus on doing that. And it isn't even, um, it's not, you, I think you made a really good point there about people see where we are, the kind of living conditions that we have and think that that's normal and everyone else wants to aspire to have these living conditions. It's not like this has been always been the way, because it's only the last 20, 30, 40 years that people have had the luxuries that we have now. We, we feel that they are, are sort of right to have all these luxuries but actually it's a fairly recent thing and it doesn't have to be worse it just has to be different people mustn't be afraid of different you know we have to make different choices in what we do I mean one thing I think that really does need to change is the way that we think about our individual nation states and countries and things because we can't we have to think about the world as a whole it's one planet and we all live on it and all of these different things that are happening with the weather and the climate is going to mean mass migration it's just it's just going to there's going to be people having to move from some parts of the world and live in other parts of the world. And we can't just go, well, yeah, sorry, it's your problem, mate. You know, we can't. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, it's, we've, got to, we've got to be trying to look at the problems, the solutions that will solve the whole world's problems by people talking and combining together a lot more. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big thing. Yeah, no, that's really interesting what you say. I think it's going to have to be changed and we're going to have to help people to change and to not see it that it's a negative thing necessarily, that it can also be um, this is just another direction, another iteration. We don't shop in the same way business models don't work the same way it's about um like you said when you're buying a when you need a drink of water you don't go to a company that's they say they're selling water but they're not they're selling plastic bottles with water in them you know we think of a different way a different, a different way of thinking about things isn't it well it absolutely is and, and to your point like 20 years ago i would never have thought to pop into the market to buy, buy uh, a bottle of water it's like who would pay for a bottle of water i mean that was literally a joke 
and, and it's, it so isn't anymore. And no, it's crazy. Just in 20 years, it's like everybody takes for granted. I'm going to pop into the Tesco Express and buy me a bottle of water. Yeah, yeah, and a sandwich wrapped up in completely in plastic. I mean, that, that's just a crazy thing. I mean, even supermarkets, the way they've developed over the last few years with everything covered in plastic. I mean, that was, that was not how it was. You went to the butchers if you had meat and you got your meat. You went to the greengrocers and you got your vegetables. There wasn't packaging and things. It just thrown into your, your shopping bars. It's not going back. It's just maybe taking some of the lessons from the past as we move forward and saying, well, hang on, we we moved in a particular direction where we covered everything in plastic and whatever. Maybe we need to see what we've learned. We can learn from the past about how to do that better. But there's going to be some changes. But I don't I don't think it's all bad. If we walk more and cycle more, then we're going to be fitter and happier, you know. Oh, absolutely. I, I've pointed out to so many people, it's like when we're just specifically dealing with the range issues with electric vehicles, it's like, you do realize there's essentially nowhere in the UK that's not within about five miles to a train station. And you go back 100 years, you know, what? nobody was batting an eye about walking five miles. It's like, why? Because they had to. And you start throwing bicycles into the mix. It is really easy to bike five to 10 miles. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's just, again, changing behavior. The, it is. And also, I mean, that my, my final question is about legislation, really. It's what's going to have to happen legally um, to make some of these things that we both obviously want to see happen. What do you think we need to change about the law to make these things happen? Um, well, one of the things I definitely think we need to stay on track and actually tr- truly committed to replacing a petrol cars by 2030. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm very concerned about the governments of the world uh, not making serious commitments that we, there's been a lot of promises made, there's been a lot of commitments made, and it, and it takes laws, and it's going to take forcing people to change their behavior. Uh, your point about making sure that we don't have an issue with, like we have Apple chargers versus other chargers, you need to literally just legislate that, that there's one kind of charger. My point that you should be able to charge anywhere, there should be a law that, you know what, I can go charge anywhere, that it shouldn't be restricted, that there's 15 charger networks because that, that just leads to people being concerned about not being able to charge their, their, their electric vehicle. Uh, I, I think there needs to be continue to be incentives to, to switch to electric vehicles. And, and, and if you have a carrot in one hand, nothing wrong with a stick in the other that make it more expensive to drive a petrol car. That, yeah. I mean, that would, that would be an easy solution. And, it's difficult a lot of times for leadership or politicians to make the right choice because like you pointed out with fashion, the plenty of people quite frankly know they're doing the wrong thing and they do it anyway because that, that fast fashion outfit is so super cute and it's only 10 quid. It's like, oh, I'm not going to worry about it. I will fix that tomorrow. I'll be a good person tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and to some extent, the, that's what the government's there for is to kind of try to make us do the right thing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the government's got to make decisions about what is right rather than what is popular. Because if we keep going along with what is popular, we're just going to end up going around in circles and not solving any of the problems. They have to actually do the hard line and say, yeah, okay, you know, this is the situation we're in. These are the things we need to do. We'll help you, you know, we'll guide you. We'll make it as easy as we can. Because for some people, you know, moving over to an electric vehicle is something that they find emotionally difficult. But we've all just coped with a global pandemic and we're coming out of a hopefully coming out of a global pandemic people coped with it 
because we were all in it together and we saw the common goal and we had to get through it, you know, and I think it's got to some of the lessons from that have to be learned with what we have to face now, you know, for the climate emergency. But, but well, yeah, think, of the, think of the advantage of us all working from home. I, yeah. That would not have happened three years ago. Companies would not have said, ah, you can all work from home because there was trepidation. There was fear that that wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And, and it's proved that that's not true, that just as much work got done, a lot of occasions more work. And it was one of those changes that was forced upon us. Mm-hmm. And it, it certainly had benefits. And certainly one of the benefits is to the environment that you've taken a lot of cars off the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've, you've taken a lot of people getting plastic for their sandwiches at lunch. Yeah, I don't wrap plastic around my sandwiches at the house. So. No, no, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, yeah, it's true. And also this whole love of nature, you know, the number of people. When you are told you are only allowed to go out for one hour a day, it's amazing the number of people who ne- probably never went out for an hour a day before suddenly went out for a walk for an hour a day, you know, and discovered their, their parks nearby them and, and those kind of areas. And hopefully that will, they will enjoy, have enjoyed that and got some benefit from that as well and want to keep a wonderful thing. I was reading about something earlier and I was thinking, we've talked a lot about electric vehicles and batteries and all of that kind of thing. I was reading about some of the sort of slightly wackier things that people have been talking about. And one of them was um, the, uh, the ideas of having highways with electromagnetic things in so cars could be charging up as they're driving along. I don't know what you think about that. Uh, there's certainly alternate ways of powering an electric vehicle. I mean, because if you look at electric trains, which you pointed out have been around a long, long, long time, that they don't have batteries on them, that they obviously just have a big stick sticking up in the air or they have something for a third rail or something that just literally has the power they go by. Um, Germany, I know, is actually looking at doing that for automobiles. But okay. it, it is certainly an option. Uh, one of the challenges with that is just delivering that amount of power in, into a, a road system. Mm-hmm. But, but it's, an, it's, a, it's another opportunity. And I definitely think you're going to see a lot of different ideas come out and about because people are willing to experiment right now. That 20 years ago, nobody was going to experiment on electric vehicles. I mean, the only electric vehicle was a golf cart. And it used old lead acid batteries. And it's because you had to go around the golf cart, which is a couple, three miles long. Yeah. Yeah. Or dodgem cars. I was thinking dodgem cars that used to have the big things sticking out of the back. Oh, yeah. I would <laughs> drive around in a dodgem car. Anyway, I better not, better not spin this too long in terms of dodgem cars and the golf carts. So um, that was really, really, really interesting. I learned a lot from you, Rebecca, and uh, it's really nice to talk about some of the different things that are coming up. And I hope that anybody listening to this um, on the Where Does It Come From podcast will go and have a look at trywire.com and see about the opportunities for them switching out to um, an electric vehicle in the near future. Yeah. So it's been really super interesting, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me on the Where Does It Come From podcast today. Thank you, Joe, for having me. Have a great day.